0: Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. And in this episode, I am ranking the Eternals. Not ranking the film Eternals within the larger MCU, but actually ranking the 10 Eternals characters who we are introduced to in the film. And sharing some additional thoughts I have about the movie after seeing it a couple more times. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at idea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support the show by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from the link in my bio on Instagram or in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. So welcome to an extra episode of There Was an Idea this week. On Monday night, I put out my thoughts on Disney Plus Day and assembled Shang-Chi Today, I am here to talk some more about Eternals. But before I get into that, just a couple notes on what's coming up. On Monday night, the 22nd, I will be releasing my Hawkeye preview episode. I've done preview episodes for all of the previous Disney Plus shows in slightly different ways. This time, I will be talking about the Matt Fraction Hawkeye run of comics and sharing the elements that I hope they incorporate into the show, as well as some general hopes or predictions or other thoughts that are on my mind before Hawkeye premieres. Then, weekend after Thanksgiving, I'll release my thoughts on the first episode of Hawkeye, including some big ideas that seem to be emerging, followed by Monday the 29th, regularly programmed episode featuring a couple of special guests to talk about Hawkeye episode two. If you tuned in for the MCU character draft that I did with Trey and Jude of MCU Need to Know week before last, you can check out our straw poll to vote for whose roster, or shall I say, party guest list, was your favorite. Based on the Twitter poll that went out on what I've seen from Straff Poll so far, it does seem like I am in the lead, but there haven't been that many votes yet, so get out there and share your vote. According to Jude, he's gotten some text messages from some people saying that saying that they're not biased, but his his roster is the best. I don't know about that. Maybe hashtag Jude's Redemption. We shall see. And if you haven't heard that episode definitely check it out. We had a great time, and I think that you'll enjoy hearing it as well. Similarly, today I'm going to be talking about characters in the MCU. That's part of what made the character draft so fun, was that we really had a chance to talk about the characters who have resonated with us over the course of the MCU. And Eternals introduces us to 10 titular Eternals, as well as Dane Whitman, who is going to be an important character in the MCU coming up. So I thought that the technique that I would use for an additional episode in which I talk about these characters in more depth and share some more thoughts on the movie would be to rank them. Even though, as I've said before, when we rank, what are we actually doing? What are we choosing by? It does kind of create an exercise that I find Fun and challenging, and forces me to think about things a little bit more. And in this case, forces me to think a bit more about each of these characters and how they were developed in their first outing in the MCU in Eternals. So, this is a spoiler warning for Eternals if you have not yet seen the film. You probably will not want to listen any further because I will talk about the movie in detail. I have already released about a 25 30 minute first impressions episode after I saw the movie for the first time in the theater. Since then, I went twice more. Actually, in that first weekend, I went Thursday, I went Saturday, and I went Sunday. And now it has been a little over a week, but I am actually going again tonight, shortly after I recorded this. So that will be my, my fourth theater viewing of Eternals. One of the big takeaways after seeing the film a couple more times was really just how visually beautiful it is, and how much I really felt engaged in this story. And I, I have talked with some other people who didn't necessarily feel that who felt like maybe there was too much going on that they were a bit confused or it was tough to follow or they just didn't feel not that it was tough to follow, but they didn't necessarily feel the engagement of wanting to follow all of the pieces. My mom and dad came with me on my what was my third watch, their first watch and they definitely both enjoyed aspects of the film but did feel like there was a lot going on. but I could see how this film was not for everybody. I've actually liked it more and more each time I've gone. And I'm going tonight with two people, friends of the podcast, actually, Rob, who you've heard from, who is a longtime MCU fan, and Kat, who was my very first guest on the show, who is less familiar with the MCU. And as somebody who is not a huge fan of the MCU, it's interesting that she was attracted to seeing this film. So I'm very curious to hear what both of them think. One is a longtime MCU person. One is not as much of an MCU person. And if those respective backgrounds and uh, levels of prior knowledge and familiarity will have an impact on what they think of the movie so stay tuned as for me as i said i've liked it more and more each time i've seen it and i actually found myself in my conversation with mav and the other hosts over at the vox podcast you can listen to the episode i did with them on eternals it's in their feed i'll share it in the show notes i actually found myself doubling down on how much i liked this movie in conversation with some people who didn't like it as much and for whom the characterization didn't really work. So I found myself being like, no, the characters really work for me in this film. So that's a bit more of what I'm going to talk about today when I rank the Eternals. And uh, stay tuned because there's also a few other observations I made in second and third watches of the movie that I would like to share out there and, and see what other people think. Okay, so after seeing the movie three times, ranking the Eternals, by the impression that they had on me and by how much I connected with their story. And just to say, the people who are in eighth, ninth, tenth position, it doesn't mean that I dislike them. It just means that they didn't connect with me as much. Something about their stories didn't resonate with me as much, or or I felt like they didn't get enough in, in this movie. That's one thing, too, that I think some of the criticism is like, oh, there's so many characters and they didn't all get equal time and it was hard to some people might feel like it was hard to connect with them because of that and what i feel is like yes it's true that they didn't all get equal time a character for a character for example like fastos is not in the film for like a large section in the middle a character like kingo is not there for the final fight and this is a little bit unusual For an MCU film, especially the first introduction of characters, because even with Guardians, who were introduced as an ensemble, there was half as many of them as there are in The Eternals, and they were together for the majority of the film. But regardless, I feel like one of the things that's happened with the MCU is that because it's gotten so big and because we associate the journeys of our characters over multiple installments... We feel more connected to them than when we go back to an earlier installment in which there wasn't too much of them at all. So, I think what I'm trying to say is that some of these Eternals probably will play a bigger role in the MCU moving forward, and some of them will not. But I think before being too harsh on the characterization in the film, the thing that I think about is how when some of the early installments of the MCU came out, parts of phase one and two specifically, we didn't know then what we know now and we didn't get and we didn't have those years spanning relationships with the characters and I think now people are in much more of a position where uh, expectations are higher for first outings of characters expectations are higher in general post endgame post infinity war and endgame and I think that people are just maybe a little bit tougher on the newer releases in a way that we weren't when Thor The Dark World or Iron Man 2 and 3 came out. I'm not saying I dislike those films. Well, I think I have said that I don't really like Thor The Dark World very much or Iron Man 2 as much. But I actually do, in retrospect, appreciate them because of the fact that they play a role in this larger story. So I'm left wondering how much people will begin to appreciate Eternals more as The story of the mcu continues to unfold or if because this film wasn't received as well by critics if that means that it won't play as much of a role moving forward which i think would be a shame because i do think there are some wonderful characters here who i'd like to see move move on in the mcu and interact with some of our our other favorites so getting to it my number 10 eternal here is ajak and this is not because I didn't appreciate Salma Hayek's performance, because I did. And I, I liked her performance more than my number nine favorite Eternal. However, she really is the one that we didn't get to know as much. And while I think that she really sold the maternal role, I understand the role that she played for the other Eternals. I want to know more about what made her want to protect the humans so much at The 11th hour, it was a few days before the destruction of Earth from this birth of this celestial. And that's when she questions everything, things that she has been doing for millennia. And um, I was wondering if there was more to that along the way, what had happened to her? Maybe did she kind of slowly begin to, to change her mind? Maybe there is some evidence of that in the flashbacks, but it felt a little jarring to me that she... Kind of changed that, uh, that she kind of changed her decision so drastically after, as I said, you know, thousands of years, maybe more than thousands of years. So that's why I have her at the bottom here, just because I didn't connect with her as much. But I do appreciate how you felt her presence even when she wasn't there. She was clearly an important piece holding this group of Eternals together and Salma Hayek is awesome. My number nine favorite Eternal is Sprite. So Sprite is toward the bottom of my list here because I didn't really feel the connection to her. However, I'm putting her above Ajax because I can see how other people would really connect to her. I think conceptually, I really, really like her story. However, I didn't necessarily feel that personal connection and it didn't necessarily come through for me consistently throughout the film. So, for example, what I like about her story is that she's the one who is the storyteller. I love the way this movie is commenting upon myth-making and how it is Sprite who is telling the story of Gilgamesh to the Babylonians who we know in real life wrote the epic of Gilgamesh, right? I love how she's the one who inspires Kingo to make movies because of the way that she tells her stories. I like this desire she has to be hu- to be human the fact that she feels like she is um, kind of trapped in this physical presence that doesn't really reflect who she is because she's always going to be seen as a child because she did have to move around so much unlike the other eternals and it makes sense to me, that she went with Icarus in the end. But I wasn't sold on her being in love with him. And maybe this is less of an issue with the character and more what the story decided to do. I think the fact that she would want to follow Icarus does make sense, but I didn't necessarily see evidence of why she would have romantic feelings for him. So a character, again, I'm I'm ranking Ajax and Sprite at the bottom here but it's not because I thought they were poor characters, um, just because, again, I didn't have as much of that personal connection. Same thing with number eight, who is Fastos. Brian Tyree Henry is incredibly charming. I think Fastos is a very charming character. He's sweet, he's funny. I really like the visuals of his designing the different uh, innovations, especially my, my favorite scene with him is probably the steam engine when he's he's designing the steam engine. And then uh, when Ajax says that the humans aren't ready for that yet, he's like, all right, here's a plow. So really appreciated this character. The scenes with his family were very, very sweet. And I think, again, as much as we didn't get a ton of time with him and as much as it's a little bit jarring to go from this lowest of the low moment He's in the ruins at Hiroshima, which was a scene that I I didn't love because tonally that is really really dark, and the rest of the film wasn't quite as dark. I, I the tone kind of shifts a little bit, but regardless, he's he's at he's in Hiroshima after the uh, the nuclear bomb ha- has done its damage, and he feels responsible to a certain extent, and he feels really disappointed in humankind and saying that they're not worth it. And then to kind of jump to however many years later and he's and he has found someone who he's in love with and he has a son and and it, it definitely goes fast. That doesn't necessarily like bother me as much because I understand the shorthand of that. He's got this lowest of the low moment and then he finds love and he has faith in humanity again. So I'm not super critical of that, but I feel just because maybe there wasn't as much time spent with Fastos that that's why he's a bit lower on my list here. But I really like this character and his introduction into the MCU because it feels very meaningful. My number seven favorite Eternal is actually Icarus, who it may surprise you if you listened to first impressions, because at the time I said that he was one who didn't do it for me. After my first viewing, I felt like coming out of the theater, Richard Madden's performance felt a bit uh, wooden uh, or stiff, and and just it just didn't resonate with me. But then watching it again, I paid careful attention to his performance and watched him in the background. And he was, throughout the scenes in which the other Eternals are kind of debating what to do and learning information that's new to them, and we now know that it wasn't new to him, he's kind of quietly taking it in. And it, it's very cool to see on second watch um, how Madden really... Gave an admirable performance, I think. He's very reserved and very emotional and in a way that I didn't appreciate the first time around. He's another character like Sprite, who, even though I don't necessarily like them as much myself, conceptually, they are very compelling. The scene at the end when he's crying, he can't quite bring himself to kill Cersei, flying into the the sun. These things are quite melodramatic, and I'm somebody who enjoys that. It feels melodramatic in the way of these kind of epic, uh, epic stories that Eternals is, is clearly in conversation with. At number six, I have Kingo. There are some moments with Kingo that suffer a little bit from the MCU's need to throw in comic relief all over the place. The comedy is one of the things that makes the MCU different from other superhero franchises. And it's not something that turns me off. I think because Eternals was a film that dabbled in some tones that felt different than the rest of the MCU. There were a few moments with Kingo and Karun, his valet, that didn't land quite as well for me personally. Like I said, I kind of like some of that melodramatic or dark stuff. But hearing the audience reaction each time I've seen this and and just hearing how much people loved Kingo, I can't begrudge anyone that. I, It was infectious. I loved the Bollywood scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film. The acting that Camille Nanjiani does in that scene is really fantastic. I mostly liked the stuff with Karun. I liked that Karun was a human connection for Kingo and for the rest of the Eternals. Although, as I said, there's a couple moments there with like the filming of uh of everything that i didn't connect with quite as much i was like oh, all right whatever um but i also really liked kingo's connection with icarus and with sprite the fact that he expresses his admiration for these other eternals the fact that his relationship to them and his admiration for them impact his decisions and how he's chosen to live his life after what they thought was the end of the deviance i thought was very cool his choice to not participate in the last battle I thought was really unique for the MCU. And so this is maybe more of a thing I liked with the writing and the storytelling approach than necessarily with the character himself, but I'm associating it together here. He doesn't go with Icarus and Sprite, but he also doesn't fight with the others against them. He doesn't want to defeat the Celestial. His ethical compass tells him that it's the right thing to do to let the accession. To let the celestial emerge, that, that that's the natural order of things. But he also tells his friends, I'm not going to hurt you for my beliefs. And he dips out. An interesting choice and not one that I think we've ever seen anything like in the MCU. Of course, then he is there at the end. He's taken by uh, by Arishim. So the consequences of the decision that the other Eternals made will affect him too, which I think is interesting moving forward. And I'm intrigued by where that's going to go. All right, number five. Here's a guy who we also didn't see as much of and where that made Fastos fall a little bit lower on the list for me. For him, it doesn't matter. I just really, really liked Gilgamesh less time than some of the others, but he really, really shines. So funny, so charming, super strong, really fun to watch him fight. And his relationship to Athena was so lovely. The This empathy and compassion that they had for each other the way in which he protected her out of just the goodness of his heart and this love for his family it wasn't overtly romantic though you could interpret it that way but it doesn't matter if it's romantic or if it's strictly familial just having that love for another person and being willing to sacrifice for them it was so wonderful and especially because he's this super strong tough guy physically he doesn't mean that he can't also be this emotional protector. And she is also super strong and tough, although in a different way. And she doesn't need physical protection, unless she's suffering from her mad worry. We'll talk about that in a minute. But to have this support and this love was so awesome. And I really enjoyed the scenes when the rest of the team shows up in, in Australia to where Gilgamesh and Thena have been living. And he's wearing his apron and he's making the pie. The the humor stuff with Gilgamesh worked for me much more than a lot of the humor stuff with Kingo. It was a little bit less over the top, I think, and or maybe it was just the scenes and the way that that those moments hit that I really appreciated. I've been collecting the Eternals McDonald's toys, and I'm actually staring at a little Gilgamesh as I as I say this. I ended up with two of the Gilgamesh toy. So one of them is with my collection of the others I collected upstairs in my in my movie room. But here in my recording space, I have my extra Gilgamesh. So <laughs> he's, my, he's my little friend here. So I, I'm looking into his little plastic eyes as I, as I share my love for his character. <laughs> if anybody else is collecting the McDonald's toys, let me know. I got four on my own. I got Cersei... Kingo, Ajak and Gilgamesh and then I got a second Gilgamesh and then colleague uh, at Work Liz shout out to her if she's listening She, her daughter has been going to McDonald's a lot and has been collecting them but doesn't have an interest in holding on to the toys so she was able to hook me up with Sprite and Athena and Makari and Fastos. I've not tracked down a Druig or an Icarus so if anybody has those let me know <laughs> All right, my number four Eternal is Cersei. I had no idea that she was sort of going to be our POV lead character here, and I love that she was. I was excited to see Gemma Chan back in the MCU. She did play Minerva in Captain Marvel, but with the makeup and the fact that that role wasn't super developed, I, I really appreciate that they didn't um, let that impact the decision to to cast her here. She was wonderful. I really like her transfiguration powers, the scene on the on the airplane, when Kingo is pretending to to be filming this documentary about the Eternals. And he's like, Alright, tell us about yourself. And at first, she's not super into it. But then she starts talking about how she has turned a rock into a bunch of different things. And she gets very genuinely excited about it. It's very sweet. She's very human. That scene feels very human. Her attachment to her phone, of course, that they play into. The fact that she's always running late to things. The moments of connection she has with people in Babylon. The moments of connection she has with people in the modern day. Her connection to Dane. It really reflects her love for humanity and how human she herself seems, even though she's not. I also love her story, how she's called to leadership And it's not something she was looking for, but it's a call that she answers. And I really just enjoyed her performance so much. She's not over the top. She is a quiet leader. And I love Gemma Chan. Cersei was fantastic. Number three, Makari, Another character who took me by surprise. I knew from the trailers that she was a speedster. Pretty much it. And again, we spent less time with her, but she really shined in the moments that she was there. I loved the portrayal of her super speed. It looked so good. And the fight scene with Icarus, when she is beating the living heck out of him, um, especially because she thinks that he has killed Druig, it was so cool to watch. And it's interesting. We talk all the time about how the MCU often does a great job in films like Shang-Chi, with telling a character's story through the action, using action in a way where you may otherwise have used dialogue. And even though this is a super enhanced CGI scene where she's running at these incredible speeds and beating into this other guy, it still says something about the character. It is a way for that character to express herself, especially because she her dialogue is all through sign language because she doesn't speak with her voice. So it says so much about her and her her passion for for Druig and how much she believes in what they're doing that she can come at Icarus so hard. So I also love that she spent her time just like stealing a bunch of cool artifacts, hanging out, reading. I love when they called her Miss Havisham, a reference to the Charles Dickens book, Great Expectations, which I love. So Makari, super lovely, super smart. And I really, really want to see more of her moving forward in the MCU. Number two favorite character, Thena, Angelina Jolie in the MCU, she is incredible here. I loved watching her fight. I loved the way that this film depicted a superhero going through a, a mental illness, something that was outside of her control and something that is difficult to overcome. The fact that her Mad Weary was related to these memories of these years upon years of work that the Eternals have had to do and then to have their memories wiped. I'm very interested in the internal conflicts that are created by not accessing your memories and then accessing them. So Carol Danvers' story in Captain Marvel, I thought, really worked well in that way. And for Athena, the fact that it, it weakens her, that she's having these moments that are actually moments of clarity, even though they seem like moments of madness. I think it's fascinating. I thought Angelina Jolie was incredible in the role. I loved watching her fight with Icarus. I loved watching her fight with Crow, the Deviant, uh, and as I already mentioned, her relationship to to Gilgamesh. So big fan of Thena and really hope to see more of her moving forward as well. Finally, this took me by a huge surprise. I was expecting to love Thena. She's Angelina Jolie after all. She's related to the goddess Athena, the goddess of war in Greek mythology, which is super cool. But I was not expecting to be here ranking as my number one eternal Druig. Druig is not the nicest person. (laughs) Druig uh, makes some decisions that bring up questions related to ethics that are not necessarily decisions that seem the most upstanding or moral, but he's definitely the most compelling character in the film to me. The standout scene, of course, is the scene in Tenochtitlan, in which the Spanish conquistadors have invaded, and they're attacking the Aztecs, and this all-out war is breaking out. And Druig expresses how much he cannot handle centuries upon centuries of watching these people and watching them destroy each other and themselves and not be able to do something about it. And while it certainly doesn't seem super ethical to take a bunch of other people's free will away from them and to put them underneath your control right memories of wandavision here he makes that choice and he makes that choice because he can't stand to to watch that pain and the pain that it's caused him and so what is created then is this commune of sorts in the amazon of Spaniards and Aztecs living side by side in harmony, again, all under his control, but he believes he's doing something right. And it's fascinating. It brings up a lot of really interesting questions. Again, not necessarily the type of thing that you see your superheroes do, but I really appreciate that they painted all different types of moral compasses for these Eternals. Another scene that stands out is when Cersei is talking about Arishim's reveal about how deviants were created to feed on predators who prey on humans and how when they evolved to also themselves prey on the humans the eternals were created to kill the deviants and druig says they're us right like he is understanding that the deviants are the other side of the coin to who they are as eternals they were created for the same purpose originally i think that's a fascinating aspect to this film as well and finally Druig's chemistry with Makari, the, they're so good together. They're so cute. They're banter. their flirtation. And while she it really expresses her devotion to him, I think, in that scene when she's fighting Icarus, he expresses his love for her or his care for her in in small ways throughout the film as well. And those two are really the, the OTP of the film. I, I liked Cersei's connection with Dane. I liked Dane a lot as well. Didn't really have many feelings for the Cersei-Icarus relationship, but Druig and Makari, I'm all for it all the way. Hope to see more of them moving forward as well. So that's my ranking of the 10 Eternals. And I actually waited to record this part that you're listening to right now with some of my other thoughts on the film until after that fourth viewing that I I did last night with Rob and Kat. And, you know, (laughs) seeing the movie again, I really love this movie. Eternals is, I've, have this idea that it's going to be this cult classic hit within the mcu or something because from what i've mostly heard there are people who think it's the worst ever but which i completely don't understand but there's a lot of people who like things about it didn't necessarily like other things about it and it leaves me wondering if, if this is kind of just middle of the road or forgettable to to some audiences here But I think there is so much here. At the end of the movie, it was really cool watching Kat's reactions as someone who has seen Iron Man and that's it and didn't really know what she was getting into. So to see her reactions in real time of of shock and awe and laughter and um, emotion was really cool. An outsider coming in to an MCU film without all of the expectations and other baggage that the rest of us bring to it. And at the end, she was like holy cow, there's so much here. There's so much to unpack. And, and she's my co-teacher in the ninth grade humanities course that, that we teach together. And she's like, this is such a ninth grade film. We should show this to our students after school once it's available and dig into some of the ideas here about history and mythology. And that's the stuff that I'm interested in as well. So looking at this movie again, I really appreciate what it is. I really appreciate the characters. And a couple things, a couple other things that I noticed after multiple viewings that I didn't talk about in my First Impressions episode. The concept of purpose, I spoke with different guests throughout Phase 4 about what we see as the emerging themes of this phase of the MCU, and I named purpose as something that I felt like was really sticking out. We certainly see it in Shang-Chi and Black Widow, as well as in all of the Disney Plus shows, and and really nailed on the head in Loki, the idea of being burdened with glorious purpose. But Ajax talks about it here in Eternals, in the uh, turning point scene in Tenochtitlan when the Deviants have been destroyed and she says to them, you know, find your own purpose and I hope to see you in the future and, and you tell me what you found. I thought that was really a powerful scene and it comes up later too in conversations with with other Eternals, I believe, in the conversation between Thena and Cersei and Icarus. Icarus, who very much believes that it is his purpose to serve Arisham and that is what drives him. And that's what, in my interpretation, causes him to fling himself into the sun at the end, is that he has he has betrayed his purpose. He has betrayed what he has spent his entire life believing himself and, and his and his very nature to to be for. There's a great moment between him and Fastos too that I, I had forgotten about last time, in which he tells fastos you're an eternal and you exist to serve arisham and fasto says no you know i exist for for me for my family i i don't serve arisham in that way and i think that's a it, it's in conversation i think with these other installments in phase four that are getting at this idea of of purpose just to add to my comments on druig as well and how much i love him each time i've seen it more of the conversation he has with ajax sticks out to me when he does walk away and and take the the group of Spaniards and Aztecs into the forest when he talks about how the Eternals are like these other soldiers, pawns to their leaders. And when he faces off to her and says, if you're going to stop me, you're going to have to, you'll have to kill me. It really shows how strong his convictions really are. And another thing I, I said on my first impressions episode that I kind of want to take back a little bit or not fully take back because first impressions are first impressions. And it remains true that on first impression, the score to the film didn't necessarily stand out to me. But I will say this with each time I've seen it, I am feeling the power of the score more so. It's definitely a part of the film now. And I find myself subconsciously waiting for it or, or hoping for it in different scenes. And I think that goes along with also just how I'm really glad that this is a film I saw multiple times. I'm really glad I have this movie pass and that I've been able to go so many times because on first watch, I think I left feeling that was good. I liked things about it. There were other things that didn't resonate with me as much. If that had been my only experience, I may not really be talking or thinking about The Eternals very much right now, but because I've gone multiple times, it really is a movie that for me has really benefited from those multiple watches and I'm feeling a relationship to it in the way that I I feel a relationship to the other films in the MCU, more so than some of the other films in the MCU, just because of how much is in there that I am really interested in conceptually or intellectually. It's also interesting that there are implications here for Thanos and his story and his role in the MCU. And I always love when they do that, where it's not the same as a retcon, but it is a reframing of things we've seen in the past. We know now. That Thanos' actions in wiping out half of all living creatures delayed the emergence. Okay, well, we also meet Harry Styles' Eros character at the end uh, in the first credit stinger, brother of Thanos. Eros is an Eternal. Is Thanos an Eternal or a Deviant? I know that he is in the comics. Uh, an and Eternal with a Deviant gene, I believe, is, is what I read. So is Thanos aware of the emergence of the celestial and is he intentionally trying to lower the population so that it doesn't happen i don't know if we will go back and and see what was going on in thanos's mind i don't know if we want to reframe that. I, is that's a question that i have is the thanos snap something that we're interested in reframing and seeing it from another angle not saying that it makes it right by any means but just seeing if that was uh if we're going to go back and sort of say, oh, this may have been another motivation for Thanos, or does this kind of feel shoehorned in? I'm curious what other people think. For me watching the film, I got excited about it. Like, oh, this has implications for what we know about Thanos. And is Thanos going to continue to be in the conversation of the MCU moving forward? And then speaking of the blip, the other thing that I noticed was a GRC uh, billboard or like a scroll advert on the... Uh, at the beginning of the film, when Cersei's on the streets of London and she's taking a picture of the artifacts that changed history sign on the uh, digital billboard. And at the top, it, it says something about the Global Repatriation Council, which we learned about in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So I kind of like that little Easter egg there. And finally, I think this has been brought up elsewhere the comment that one of the Eternals makes about Fastos making them bracelets and the fact that. They are pretty much bracelets, what they're wearing at the end, to connect them to the Unimind. The fact that there are 10 Eternals in the film, okay, 10 bracelets, 10 rings, question mark. Now, of course, when Fastos is making them, Gilgamesh and Ajax have already died. So it wouldn't have been more than eight, but I don't know if this is just a coincidence or if there is some connection here to even the style of how uh, Fastos is using these ring-like weapons when he's fighting it's just something that I'm noticing. I'm not claiming that there's any connection between this and the Ten Rings, but I do wonder if there's some connection to the way that the Ten Rings were giving off that that beacon or whatever they talk about at the end of Shang-Chi with the emergence. And, uh, you know, clearly in the days leading up to the emergence, there were earthquakes and these other types of things. So I kind of wonder the extent to which we might see some of these other happenings and in, in other places in, in the MCU that have already happened or will happen in the future being connected to the emergence. Almost as like a, just a background piece of information, a, an Easter egg of like, oh, OK, this was the same time that the emergence was happening. So therefore, you know, th- it's just kind of something interesting in the background of one of these other stories. All right, so I'm going to leave it there for now. Thank you for listening to my continued thoughts on Eternals. And I am going to release a deep dive analysis episode in which we really dig into the big ideas of this film. I'm thinking about waiting until the film is out on Disney Plus and that conversation about Eternals has a new new, new life breathed into it and gives me some time to continue to think about the movie and to uh, talk with some guests about the direction we might take. So, So stay tuned for that and coming up in a few days, Hawkeye preview episode.